This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Panther Puri, the podcast where we're supposed to talk Panthers hockey, but sometimes we don't. Here are your hosts, Alex Lopez, Jake Langsam, and TJ Peterson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Panther Puri. I'm your host, Jacob Langsam. Here with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Alex Lopez and TJ Peterson. And uh, something very important happened uh, over the last 24 hours. Um... I have completed my living Pokedex uh, yes. through, gener- through Generation 9. Oh, you have no idea the smile that came to my face. Because as soon as you started the show this way, and I had no idea you were going to do it, I knew it was going to be Pokemon related. And that just makes me <laughs> At so this I, point, I, everyone should expect it. Every yeah, like, person. honestly, I, I'm, I'm a master of subversion. Uh, this is not subversion, a master though. of Pokemon. This it is not subversion. Is. It's because, entirely it, subversion. Because, because it's expected. Hmm. On one hand, that's fair. On the other hand, this is a hockey podcast. I know I open with Pokemon often, but I feel like people still tune in expecting hockey. What Pokemon yeah. would be best at hockey? Assuming that they don't Slurlax, get to use like psychic best abilities. Best goalie of all the time. That's actually not a bad answer. Snorlax would be a great goalie because he could just sit in front of the goal. But yeah. there are a lot of Pokemon that could just sit in front of the goal. Slacking could sit in front of the goal. Walrein could sit in front of the goal. Yeah, there there are a lot of Pokemon that could just sit in front of the goal and be just as effective. Uh, okay, so they'd all be tied for first because there's literally nothing. Like when a goalie has a 1,000 save percentage and a 0.000 goals against, like there is no better hockey player in the world. So the answer is whichever one of those Pokemon plays on the worst team because that's the goalie that would have the highest goal saved above expected. There you go. <laughs> I'll think more on that, on which Pokemon would be best at hockey, because uh, that's a conversation that could be fun for when there aren't more serious things to talk about. Uh, and on that note, uh, the last night was interesting. Easily one of the top five worst officiated games I've ever seen. Ever. And it's not even debatable. Like, everyone saw what that shit was. I mean, I'm still baffled that Toronto fans think that they got the short end of the stick enough times to have an argument to complain. That's baffling to me, but like, that was horrible. Horrible. So many bad calls, so many obvious penalties uncalled, just an absolute shit show. And then you had a third period where they didn't call anything despite just like blatant penalties by both teams. Like, Well, they called a penalty shot. But yes, the we, penalty shot. It was a penalty shot. That was a good call. That yeah. was a that was a great call. I mean, it's a very frustrating call considering how the game had gone. But like in a vacuum, that's the right call. Yeah, totally. He missed the penalty shot, so it's all good. Nylander, yeah. Nylander, right? 
but yeah, I mean, five four overtime Panthers loss. Um, and we'll talk probably more about it as after we finish the official conversation. But like third game in four nights, travel after every single game. You got um five out of the six points. You can't do much better than that on a three and four. Uh, TJ, you tweeted it out. That was a schedule loss. The Panthers can't afford any schedule losses right now, but you got a point in a schedule loss against the number two team in the Atlantic and I think the second best team in the conference. Yeah. Either on the road. second or third. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. On the road. Like, okay. You you take that. Fourth. Okay, fourth. Boston, Either Boston, way. Boston, Carolina, New Jersey, Toronto. You take that every single time assuming you're not fighting for your playoff lives, which the Panthers are. Right. It does put them on a three-game point streak, at least. Uh, the three-game winning streak is uh, still eludes us, uh, but it does give the Panthers a 3-1-1 one, and one record uh, in their last five and puts them on a three-game point streak uh, heading, into, uh, heading into Montreal tomorrow night. Yeah. I, I would say, Alex, in, in response to the idea that, that they, they can't afford to drop any points, and I mean, you know, if they if they miss the playoffs by one point at the end of the season, then sure, we could point back at this game and say, well, they did have a 4-2 lead, despite the fact that you always, you know, understood that Toronto was going to be the much better team in the second half of this game. That's just always how it goes when you're rested and you're playing against a team that's on a back-to-back. Toronto was rested. They were playing against the Panthers who had played the day before. It doesn't really even matter to me that it was a matinee game. You know, that's just a few extra hours, really. It's it's nothing in comparison to getting a full day. And uh, I just did a quick glance at the schedule because I figured this would be the case. But, you know, unless you want to make the argument that the upcoming game in Pittsburgh or next month there's a game against St. Louis. Those are both the second leg of a back-to-back. Those are both on the road. But, I mean, Pittsburgh is a bubble playoff team. St. Louis probably won't make the playoffs. So playing against a team that is not only, like, a bona fide playoff team, 100% sure, but also, like, currently number five in the NHL. And on a back-to-back, on in their arena – you're tired, you know, you you just won a game the day before. This was the toughest game left on the Panthers schedule. And if they can get a point out of that game, you have to take it because it means every other game is left for them to potentially take two. And Thursday, it's a must two points. Yeah. Like at at this point, I'm not going to begrudge overtime losses that much, but anytime you play one of these tanking teams, Montreal. Chicago is they're still going to be coming to FLA. I think that yeah, Ar- no, Arizona's not coming back, but you did get the two points against them. You get it. Any any of the tanking teams must two points. Yeah. The the tanking teams is always a must two points. And then the teams that you are not going to be battling with for one of those last few playoff spots on the road, you you want to get to overtime. And if you can yeah. get the second, great. Um, but Back to the topic at hand, Francois St. Laurent. Holy shit. And we saw it with Paul Maurice. Like, I I personally did not realize there was an issue between Paul Maurice and Francois St. Laurent uh, until last night. And now that I know what it is and I heard about it and like, 
Well, first off, you guys know about what happened with uh, Francois Saint Laurent and Paul Maurice back in Winnipeg in 2016, right? No. Okay, so back in 2016, and there's always a Panthers connection, guys. Um, Anton Strawman, late in the second period of a game, brutal, dirty hit against Brian Little. Like, horrible hit. Little ended up with a neck injury, really bad, missed the rest of the season. One of those hits that's like obvious five in a game. Francois Saint Laurent is on that game, does not make a call. Um, I think it was Wheeler for Winnipeg, takes exception to the hit, uh, tries to fight Strawman. Guess who the only penalty on the play was? It was Wheeler. on Brian Little for diving. <laughs> no, but it was on Wheeler. <laughs> so naturally, Paul Maurice lost his mind, as he should. One of his best players is literally barely moving on the ice after a dirty open ice hit, and the only one going to the box is one of his players for taking exception to it. Not even like an even up, okay, both guys got roughing. Um, The argument continues since it was at the end of the period. After the intermission where you can see Paul Maurice mouthing He's getting x-rays on his neck, you fucking joke. And uh, you can see in the video, Francois St. Laurent just hovering right by the Winnipeg bench the entire time, just waiting for Paul Maurice to keep talking. Paul Maurice takes the bait, keeps yelling at him, keeps yelling at him. Maurice gets tossed from the game. And then as Maurice leaves, you see St. Laurent laughing at the whole exchange such unprofessional behavior from an official such unprofessional behavior like you know laurent went into that went into the um, locker room during that intermission watched the replay and knew he missed that call like you know you know you blew that call and and it's like at that point you're supposed to be coming out and saying hey paul i blew that one i'm sorry like but we got to move on Instead, no, he baited him. Uh, that was Paul Maurice's first fine when it came to uh, Francois St. Laurent. It was a $25,000 fine, I believe. And it was a well-earned fine. But apparently it's become an issue for the last six years. Um, I want. I have some thoughts. I did some research into the Panthers' history with St. Laurent since Maurice became the head coach. But I want to talk about last night's game first. A 7-3 power play advantage for the Leafs. 7-3. Some of the more concerning calls, at least in my opinion, were the goodest unsportsmanlike conduct in the second period after he was upset, or excuse me, in the first period after he was upset that uh, Bobrovsky got run with no call. I, I, I just think you can't really, you can't really, debate a call like that because you just don't know maybe gudis called him the f slur you know a word that maybe ivan Provorov has used we'll get to that later uh, yeah, you have no idea like i i just think it's impossible to say whether or not that was a good call and you definitely can't affirm it but you know because c- i would agree with you in terms of none of the physical gestures were worthy of unsportsmanlike conduct but he could have said something truly abhorrent. We don't know. Right. But it, it kind of goes back to the same thing 
with what happened within the Winnipeg game where if you blow a call and you like, he should have known he blew that call. Like he was almost certainly like, Hey, uh, in a officiate a game that's not officiated with bias. And we'll get to that again later. Um, you're told pretty quickly, Hey, that, that wasn't the best call. Like, let's get, let's find an even up call sooner rather than later. Like you have to eat it from the player unless he says something completely out of line. And that could have happened with Gudis. Um, the next questionable call that I saw was the Sam Bennett high stick on Tavares. That was not quite, wait, Jake, we're going to see you shaking your head. That was a penalty on Sam Bennett. What it also was on that play, and it was clear as day, was a slashing penalty on John Tavares. Yep. The fact that that was a power play only for the Leafs was really bad. And in a vacuum, it's like, all right, you saw the first one. You didn't really notice the second one because you were focused on like getting your hand up and looking for possession that you missed the slash. Fine. But again, there is going to be a pattern here when it comes to Francois St. Laurent in games he officiates with Paul Maurice as the head coach. Also, we had the Ryan Lomberg penalty with the hooking. That was about to create that a two-on-one. sucked. Horrible call. Horrible that, call. That was the call that really set me over the edge. I, I just – that was such a basic defensive play. It was it was just trying to jab at the puck. It was a stick lift. Hooking? Lomberg yeah. stick was never parallel with the ice. I don't think the blade of Lombard's stick even made contact with the player he was checking. I think it did, but like it was, it wasn't the meaningful stick contact. Did. I, don't, I don't think the blade did. I think it did, but it was not meaningful contact. Like that happens every other shift, if Almost not every, every stick shift. Lift. Almost every stick lift, you're, unless you get it right at, around the blade, you're making some sort of incidental contact with the hand. That was such a horrible call. It took away a two-on-one, and it gave the Leafs a power play. This is another one where you say, in a vacuum, well, maybe the ref, I can't remember, but I think that he wasn't facing the sticks. So right. maybe he thought he saw something that he, you know, didn't actually happen on replay. I think that somebody showed us a photo of, on the same play, Lomberg was slashing the guy, which, again, it wasn't a slashing penalty, so you can't say that was, you know, the right call. Whatever. But it's not in a vacuum. The Leafs had eight power plays in this game. There were nine Seven. penalties called against the Panthers. Seven power reason, plays. There's two that canceled out. Seven power plays, two uh, two coincidentals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, it's, oh, hey, there's a 50-50 call that didn't go our way. But there is a pattern. And you're seeing it in this game. There were a lot of 50-50 calls where the only one who went to the box was a Florida Panther. Mm-hmm. Let's let's go to the one that, you know, Leafs fans are still up in arms out for no reason because it's the next call in the game. The Timothy Lilligren interference for shooting the stick at Sam Bennett. Um, yes, and it wasn't no. Lilligren, by the way. I think it was Engvall. Right, yeah, exactly. it was Engvall. But it was still a penalty. And that's the one who ended up in the box, isn't it? Correct. Lilligren went to the box because yeah. he's number 27. It was on Engvall who wears 37. So mm-hmm. the refs put the wrong guy in the box, but it was a penalty. Here's the NHL rule when it comes to a stick on the ice. You can only move it out of the way if it is broken. 
You cannot intend like you can and a goalie stick. If you want to get your goalie stick back to the goalie, you must pick it up and bring it to him. While you are holding the goalie stick, you cannot play the puck or make a play in the it, at all. Like you can only bring it to the goalie. That is it. But you cannot sh- pass the stick to him. You cannot put it in the direction of the goalie. You can only pick it up. So as soon as Engvall did that, the arm should have gone up. Instead, the stick gets pushed into Engvall. Uh, into Engvall pushes the stick towards the goalie into Bennett's feet. Bennett moves the stick out from under his feet. If you want to argue that should be a penalty as well, I guess because by the letter of the law it is, but the stick was literally just shot into his feet. Your natural instinct is to get the stick out of your feet so you don't trip over it. Right. However, like clear cut, that is a penalty. Leafs fans are still upset that they got called for that. What's most hilarious is guess who – uh, Francois Saint Laurent only wanted to make the call on Sam Bennett. Bennett. It took it took a linesman. Actually, that's not his job. Linesmen are not supposed to overturn referees, but that linesman had no choice because honestly, I think he saw how that game was being officiated and said, "At some point, you cannot let this continue." Because a linesman cleared that up, and yes, the wrong person went to the box for the least, but that should have been a Panthers power play. It's a joke. And here we got more. Then, like a few minutes later, Nick Cousins and Austin Matthews in the corner. What do you got? Like before, I go into my spiel on it. What did you guys remember of that play? Mark Stahl coming in afterwards. That's the only thing I remember from it. So there was like a scrum in the corner that I honestly thought was n- not unusual at all. Nothing malicious going on at all. And then. Somebody got mad at a Maple Leaf, which I thought was petty. And then, for whatever reason, Cousins was next to Matthews. And for whatever reasons, Cousins started cross-checking Matthews, which prompted then Matthews to... Uh, was it a slew foot, or did he just trip him? He tripped... He took he out tripped his feet. A, yeah, he took out his feet. If you watch that again, maybe I'm being a biased here, but right before Cousins starts cross-checking Matthews, Denisenko gets buried from behind like just absolutely buried face first into the boards arm doesn't go up cousins loses his cool and says all right you're going to take a run at my guy i'm going to take a run at your guy they both go to the box again in my biased opinion how do you not call denisenko getting boarded cross-checked whatever you want to call it but yeah i did it i did i saw it at the time and i thought yeah that's fine not even like i didn't see anything at the time, and maybe I just didn't see it right. I was like, "There's definitely nothing wrong with that." Yeah, and Leafs that, fans were mad about Matthews going to the box. Like, they thought yeah. it was a flop or something. Like, I what? That was the clearest intentional trip of all time. Like, he literally takes a stick, which like is fine because Cousins, Cousins was just messing with him for no reason. Like, yeah. I'm I'm not necessarily saying Matthews. Oh, what a dirty player. Like. The the right call was made. They both should have gone to the box. Right. They both go to the box. That's it. Um. Now, I mean, I don't, I know, Mark, uh, there was a bunting and stall. Well, both got roughing penalties out of that scrum. I thought that was fine. Yeah. Um. Next, a few minutes later, we have the Radko Gudis hip check on Zach Aston Reese. What did you guys think of that play? I thought it was It fine. was called perfectly. And Gudis 
Gudis made a good play, but also Aston Reese, what are you doing wailing at a guy before he takes his gloves off? Yeah. What a stupid move. I just yeah. thought at the time that was like a that was like a 25 IQ move. Yeah, Gudis yeah. did a great job baiting Aston Reese into taking a penalty on that. Yeah. I don't and even it, know if he did though. I I think Aston Reese just made a bonehead play. I mean, we don't know if you know Gouda said, "Hey, we'll go, we'll go," and then got Reese to drop the gloves because <laughs> that does happen. Yeah, that absolutely happens. That, that would could have. That would be a dickhead move, though. I I would have to call him out for that. Yeah, but he's yeah. our dickhead. Right, but I'm just saying that is a thing that happens in the NHL when you know a guy is hot and you can get an easy two on him. Um, but yeah, that I thought was a clean hip check. I've seen that. Yeah, totally. play it was. Yeah, half a dozen times since then, I thought that was perfectly clean. Maybe a second, half a second late, but like hip to hip, didn't go under the knee. Like you don't get hip checks better than that. However, according to Leafs fans, that was a dirty submarine play. Um, okay, now we have easily the worst call of the night. Radko Gud is charging, shockingly enough, Zach Aston Reese. You literally, if you watch that playback, you can literally see when Gouda stops skating. Yeah. And I don't understand how that's a charge. Like you can see him so clearly gliding to make that hit. He's not skating into Aston. Like, I I don't get it. Look, you can charge someone while gliding because you've built up so much speed and you're coming from so far across the ice. But like but that's not right. Like that's not what happened there. It's not what happened. Gudis is making a play for the puck. He is literally lunging for the puck. His stick hit the puck. Yeah, he does make contact before he anything hit. else. The stick hit the puck. He either hits the puck or hits Aston Reese's stick enough to, you know, basically end the scoring chance and then hit and then they collide. Zach Aston Reese actually doesn't even hit the goal hard. He hits the ice first and then kind of like falls back into the goalpost. So you can't even get it like, oh, you know, you drove him into the goalpost type of call. Like that was such a bad call. And of course, it gets the four, you know, the Leafs on the power play. Austin Matthews connects, and a four-two game is now a four-three game. For the record, I do think that the Lomber hooking call was worse than the Gudis charge. They're I both agree. bad, but I think the Lomber hooking call was a worse call. Okay, it was where- less of a penalty, but also I think it's more excusable because he could have thought he saw the ref could have thought he saw something because he was just on the wrong side of it. Right. But then again, that's why you don't call a penalty. Either either way, we're literally arguing degrees of which Panthers penalty was more of a screw job. Meanwhile, Leafs fans are complaining that uh, the wrong player went to the box on a correct call. Um, it is funny though, like that the refs had such a bad night that they couldn't even get that right. Yeah. Um, third period, like we discussed, zero penalties called, and there were a lot of them. Leafs fan like. Anytime the Panthers gained the zone, there was a stick in the midsection of a Panthers player. It was really bad. I think at that point, the Leafs knew, like, hey, St. Laurent's on a bender tonight. Like, let's do whatever the fuck we want and see if he calls it. And he didn't. Um, Because we're trying to be not unbiased, uh, Eric Stahl got away with just absolutely – I think it was Ingvall. Or no, it was Kampf. Kampf, like – 
in front of the net, like he just jumps on top of Engvall or Kampf and gives him a bunch of punches to the back of the head. That should have been a, it probably shouldn't even have been a game misconduct. Like it was really bad. Um, Street rules, baby. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But no call there. And then as they're both skating away, Kampf takes out uh, Stahl's feet. So, you know, Leafs fans who are upset about that one, like, I mean, I guess you could call a major on Stahl and a two minute on Kampf, but like, there were penalties on both teams that were ignored on that play. So again, shut the fuck up. I I would bet that that just got missed because the puck was not in the area. I don't think. I mean, you see the ref, like, I'm not sure if it was St. Laurent or the other guy, and I'll I'll get to the other guy in a second, but like he literally gives the, the two hands, like I'm not calling either of you play on signal. Um, but yeah, it was really, really bad. So let's let's talk about Maurice's comments post game, and that's kind of where my deep digging started. The first thing he talked about was how the ske- the the travel schedule was really difficult over the past few weeks. Uh, do you guys want to spend a second there, or do you think we've already talked about it? Yeah, I, I I think people don't acknowledge how ridiculous it's been. They're not going to play a game without like at least an hour worth of travel, like Toronto. From Toronto or from Buffalo to Toronto is probably the least amount of travel yeah. that they're gonna have since I can't even remember. Like what was the last time they had two games that were pretty close to each other? Well, it'd be two home games. They haven't had two home games since the first and the third of the month. Okay, so, so that's the last time they had two games where they didn't have significant travel between games. And there's a bunch of back to backs, like they're they're about to come back to Florida after they play Montreal and then go back up to the Northeast to play New York and Pittsburgh. And that's a back-to-back. Those cities aren't really that close. That's still an hour flight. And you got to take that flight at like 1 a.m. It's essentially a three-week long road trip. Because you like when you play one game and get back on a plane, you're not at home. That's not a homestand. Like you literally sleep in your bed for one night and get back on the plane. Yeah, the only the only person that likes this is the the Florida Panthers accountant because they get the Saturday home games and that revenue out of it. But that's it. Yeah, like the Panthers are essentially on a three week home, three week road trip that you know was on the West Coast, went to the you know then on then down south in the southeast, then in the northeast, then in the southeast, and then back to the northeast. That's a lot of travel, a lot of travel. So yes. just to just to go over this. To give a little bit more clarity here. So, like you said, first and the third, home games. Great. Two in a row. Love it. Uh, then you've got a couple days to travel to Detroit, so that's good. Then, you, Okay, so there's no more than one day off between any of these games, as I say this now. Yeah, and you two back-to-backs. To travel to Detroit. Great. Then you go from Detroit to Dallas to Denver to Vegas, back home, immediately back up to Buffalo, back to back against Toronto, then over to Montreal, back home to Minnesota, then up to New York City, and then you have a back-to-back in Pittsburgh, and then finally you get to come back home for five games in a row. Yeah, in a span of 18 days, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight days off. 10 games in 18 days, eight days off. And of those eight days off, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight of them are travel days. Yeah. So you don't really get a day off. You do not get rest. 
until the all-star break basically yeah it's it's been a brutal schedule and you have to commend them for getting so many wins getting so many points out of the stretch like the only it's been their best stretch of the season yeah the only game they lost in regulation they should have won the game like yeah i I guess that you can say oh that five on three wasn't very good sure it wasn't but like they played well enough to win they they absolutely played well enough to win. I don't know what happened. Like it, it is kind of funny because I was complaining about oh Bob choked away the three goal lead in Colorado. He choked in the the Vegas game. Like yeah, not a whole lot he could do about the fourth game winning goal. But you know you you need to come up with the timely save on the Eichel breakaway. And I know it's a breakaway, and you can't necessarily say it's a bad goal. But you know he didn't have any other opportunities to make a save. So like that's got to be. That's got to be the save, like, I guess. Whatever. After the Colorado game, I wasn't going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But then he came up big in Vancouver. He came up big in Buffalo. And overall, even though he let up four goals, strong performance against the Leafs. I thought he looked really good last night. He made so many high-danger saves. He was was on a back-to-back also. I mean, you can definitely pick nits and say the second Leafs goal, I believe, was off of a bad rebound. But he's playing on the second night of a back-to-back. You really get a get-out-of-jail-free yeah. card as a goalie. Yeah, like, there's. I, I just want to stress that Bob's five goals allowed was on 4.8 expected when he was playing two games in a row. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to give him shit for that. So yeah. after I, I called him out for choking two games in a row, one of which they ended up winning somehow, he comes through big in two consecutive third periods. And I, you know, I got to give him credit for it. He made up for the choking. Yeah. And, he had the, and he had the penalty shot saved yesterday. Exactly. Yeah. Um, By the way, yeah. the Panthers, only the Washington Capitals have played more games than the Florida Panthers across the league. There's one other thing that I want to point out. So as of now, the Panthers have played 20 games at home and 26 on the road. They're 10, 14, and 2 on the road. So that's a, I'm not going to do the math, but that's a bad points percentage. Three of the next four are going to be also on the road. So that will put them at 29 games played on the road and 21 played at home. So that's a total of 50 games. And then the last 32 games, 21 of them will be at home, 11 will be on the road. So they're primed to. Sorry, if they can five away games in the month of March. If they can stay healthy, and I guess they got to get healthy in the case of Spencer Knight because Bob is not going to be able to keep this up going every night. That's a real opportunity for them to climb back into this race. And we're yeah. starting to see some of the teams that they're chasing lose a little bit of form. Pittsburgh is not really on a great streak. They got a point tonight against Ottawa, but... You know, Ottawa's not a great team. You kind of hope you get more than just the one point. So the Panthers are now four game, four points back of them with two fewer or two more games played. So that's still a big hole. But if they play at a, you know, 108 point pace the rest of the way, they could very easily catch them. Washington lost in regulation last night against Minnesota. They're now at 54 points 47 games played so the panthers actually have a game in hand like you said that's the only team in the league they have a game in hand on seven points back those are your two 
teams that you're chasing, in my opinion. I think that the Islanders, uh, yeah, you're are you're, not now. You're chasing the Islanders too. The island, well, the Islanders, I don't think are built to last. I think this is a house of cards that's about to fall down. They they don't really even have a good enough offense to justify the amount of goals they're scoring. Sorokin has just covered up all of their mistakes, and while he is a phenomenal goalie. Like that definitely has diminishing returns. People figure out how to beat your goalie if they are beating you everywhere else. I also think Buffalo is not a real contender. Their shooting percentage is, is hugely inflated. I, I think that's a, their, their rebuild is going very well. I think that if you look at how Ottawa and Detroit are doing, you know, having expended way more resources to try to compete right away, Buffalo is better than both of those teams and their rebuild is going great. And Kevin Adams is doing a great job. Don Granado is doing a great job. That being said, I don't think they're a legitimate playoff contender. I think it's nine teams, eight spots. I think the Panthers are chasing the, the capitals and the, and the penguins and they got to catch one of them in order to make it. And until you pass the Islanders, you are also chasing the Islanders, but I think the Islanders are just, they're going to not even get 90 points. I think. I, I think they're disagree. not even going to get 90 points. So, like, I what's I don't disagree with you, TJ, but until you pass them, you're chasing them. Well, I mean, you could say the same thing about the Red Wings because they have a worse um, points percentage right now. But the Red Wings aren't going to be in the in the playoff discussion. They they stink. The Red Wings suck. And Stevie Y, I know that he's Teflon because of what's happened in Tampa. But, my God, he's had a nightmare of a year. Ben Sherratt. Andrew Kopp. Djokovic. Yeah, he hitting waivers. Whatever yeah. the heck is going on with Jakob Vrana. One of the oh, best yeah. things that he did is bring in Vrana and that Hall. And now, like, all of a sudden, that's... Oh, wasn't it one for one? No. No, there was... They got involved. way more. Uh, although they did uh, also take on the awful Carl Haglin contract, I'm pretty sure it was. Well, one they of can one afford of... to bury that, though. One of yeah. the, one of those terrible Washington contracts, but yeah, like the, in in terms of the Atlantic Division, the Panthers are now in a spot where yeah they do have to play Toronto three more times. Another game coming up against Boston. I'm not sure how many times they play Tampa Bay this year. One more or two more, but they have some more games coming up against Detroit. They'll be hosting Buffalo. They'll go to Ottawa. I, I I bet they'll they're play in a, Montreal again. They're in a better spot than they were a week ago. Definitely. But, oh, I wanna, yeah. but I want to bring it back because there was two parts of Paul Maurice's comments uh, uh, yesterday. Well, one, he talked about how Gudis, that was a clean check. We've gone into that. But the other thing he mentioned yesterday was you give us those two guys on the second night of a back-to-back. That's Francois Saint Laurent and Pierre Lambert. We'll talk very briefly about Pierre Lambert, and then we'll get into Francois Saint Laurent, and because I've we've already gone over the history between Maurice With, and Lamb and Laurent. Mm-hmm. What's the 2016 TV? history? Yeah, the 2016 history. But, ben Chirot uh, was also on that Jets team, by the way. Yes, always a Panthers connection. Um, but Pierre Lambert, off the top of my head, do you do either of you two know how many games the Panthers lost last year? Total overtime and regulation last year. Yeah, seventeen. I 18, thought we looked I this think. up recently. Eighteen, reg- eighteen regulation, four overtime or six overtime, so twenty-four losses. The Panthers last year, when Pierre Lambert officiated a game, were one and four. It doesn't tell me overtime, so 
none of those may be an overtime, but according to Sky the rest of the Panthers were one and four with Pierre Lambert last year when they were the best team in the NHL. 12.5% of their losses were when Pierre Lambert officiated the game. Now and he officiated like 6% of the games. Yeah. Five out of 82. Yeah. Um, now Francois Saint Laurent. I'm only going through the, I only had time to go through his history with the Panthers for this year. Cause uh, last year is pretty irrelevant. Cause he, well, he actually did not officiate a Panthers game last year. Interesting. Maurice um, also wasn't the coach last year. Right. So it's not relevant. Um, but Francois Saint Laurent has officiated three Panthers games. They are one, one and one, which on its surface seems fine. They've been a 500 team. They are 500. Before I talk about the games themselves and whatnot, I want you guys to guess what the power play disparity has been in the three games Francois Saint Laurent has officiated this year. I'm going to say 16 to 6. I'm going to go with I'm not even going to try to guess. TJ, I'm going to get it wrong. TJ, you were actually really close. It was 18 to 7. So in three games, the Panthers have had the Panthers opponents have had 11 more power play opportunities than the Panthers. That's a lot. That's 3.3 extra power plays a game. Where is the game management? Well, let, let, I want to talk about that before we go dive in deeper. Because our podcast is very anti-game management. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Last night was not – Panther fans were not calling for game management. They were calling for what the hell because normally – there's well, let me back up. There's a difference between game management and makeup calls. Game management is when you keep the power plays even just because – you know, it doesn't matter whatever reason, like one team may be chippier than the other. We got to keep the calls even. Makeup calls are when you blow a call, you realize you blew a call, either, you know, one of your your other officials tells you, hey, that was a bad one. Or you go into the locker room and see it on replay after and then you say, OK, hey, I'm going to find a cheap one on the other team to even up and make up for my mistake. Neither of those things happened yesterday. Because we just went over them. There were multiple bad calls that went against the Panthers. And I can't think of one chintzy one that went their way yesterday to quote unquote make up for it. But yeah, so going back to uh, Francois Saint Laurent, three games. The second, uh, I'm going to go in reverse order. So last night, seven to three power play advantage. The other game Francois Saint Laurent officiated was the January 6th game against the um, Detroit Red Wings. That was a 3-1 win where the uh, Red Wings had a 5-2, a 3-2 win? Yes, you're right, excuse me, a 3-2 win, where the Panthers had a 5-2 power play disparity, a deficit, and including uh, two penalties on the Panthers late in the game. One on, um, actually three uh, three penalties in the third period. One on Lindell for a high stick, which was an odd call because... The stick never actually made contact with the head. Like he kind of put his arm out and Larkin ran into it and went down hard. Uh, um, Another high stick on Ekblad, which I think was a good call. And then a cross check in front of the net that Ekblad is prone to do. We saw him do it again against Buffalo where Larkin clearly sold it, got the call and Panthers held on to win. But yeah, a five to win 
where the Panthers were the much better, excuse me, three, two win Panthers with a much better team, five to two power play disadvantage. I, I don't think they were the better team that night, but that doesn't really say anything about the calls. I think uh, they were definitely the better team on special teams. Cause if I recall correctly, they scored two power play goals on two opportunities and, Maybe Detroit got a late one on the power play, but I think, I think up until Detroit then, was, Detroit was one for five. Panthers were two for two. Yeah, so there you go. That's that's a pretty distinct special teams advantage. So even in spite of the the call disparity, yes, and that has happened recently. Let Let's talk about that real briefly. the The power play has been really good recently. TJ, we got a third game to go over. We can come back. To it, but this is just a sidebar. All right, sidebar. Just say yes, the power play has been good recently, and then we'll go into Power play it. has been a lot better <laughs> recently. Who could have seen that coming? Barkov nasty goal bar down Oh, my last God. Night. Beautiful. Nasty, nasty, nasty. Now the third game. Uh, the third game. What was the most controversial uh, call in a Panthers game this season? I don't know. The Lomberg hooking call last no, night. No, there's a worse one. It cost the Panthers a game. It took a goal off the board. L.A. The Matthew Kachuk thing? The Matthew Kachuk thing. Do you want to know who officiated the game against the L.A. Kings? Based Me. on context, I'm going to guess that it was Dan O'Rourke. I'm going to stay with my original guess, which was myself. I think it was T.J. Peterson. I think it was T.J. Luxmore, actually. It was, was not T.J. also prone to sucking at his job. Yeah, it was not TJ Sucks more. It was our good friend, Francois St. Laurent. I can't and, believe it. I really and, thought it was going to be Dan O'Rourke. And it was Pierre Also Lambert. prone to fucking the Panthers. Pierre yeah, these Lambert. referees work in tandem, though, don't they, typically? Sometimes. No, yeah, they have, they have ones that they really like working with. But P- Francois St. Laurent and Pierre Lambert officiated that game. It had the extremely controversial Kachuk no goal with the incidental contact outside the net, which has not like that has not been the standard at any other review we've seen this year. And do you want to know what the uh, power play advantage was in that game for the Kings? I mean, well, if you can do math, you can figure yeah, it out. I but... can figure it out. Hold on. <laughs> Seven to three, then five to two. So we're at 12 to five, which so means that game was to six to two. Six to two. Yay. The math-based podcast can do basic addition and subtraction. The Panther six to two in that game. And I remember you guys, because that was a game I was coming home from a wedding and was not in the right state. The Panthers did not play well, but I distinctly recall being very upset with the officiating that game outside of the Kachuk play. And, you know, we also have to mention they did miss the Kachuk high stick on uh Quick that got Kachuk suspended. I don't think they missed it. Did Kachuk get a penalty for that? I think he did. I think he did. All right, let me find it out. But either way, the most controversial moments this year have been with Francois Saint Laurent officiating the game. This is a legitimate pattern. He officiates a game that Paul Maurice is coaching and shows clear bias 11 power play advantage in three games that's not small 
Um, yes, they actually, no, they did call the interference 1959 again. in the third period. Two, yes. Ma- Matthew Kachuk, two minutes for interference on goalkeeper Jonathan Quick and a 10-minute game misconduct. Yeah. I was about to say it should have been a misconduct, but I guess it was. Yes, they um, did. I, I, I want to comment on what you said about it being a clear pattern of bias. I don't know if that's necessarily clear because you could definitely make the argument of, oh, well, the the way those games were going, the Panthers just committed more penalties. And like maybe you have an argument for the L.A. game because L.A. had more possession. If you have possession, you're probably going to get penalized more like you're going to you're going to have the other team take penalties more. But, you know, the way that these games have gone and because that was Toronto, that was the, you know, the number one talking point. On. I'm sure, you know, talk radio in Canada and the major hockey news in the U.S. because it was Toronto. Like, people now have their eyes on the Panthers and Francois St. Laurent. So, even if it's not clear bias in your opinion, you just have to imagine that there is the appearance of impropriety. What's the word? Impropriety. Impropriety. Yes, there's the appearance of it. Yeah, perpetuity you, is more like indefinitely. And it's sort of how like the appearance of that is like how possession is nine tenths of the law. Yeah. So you've got bad optics basically. So why not just get TJ Luxmore in there? Cause we, we love him and we want him officiating Panthers games. No. See like right now I want St. Laurent refing our games because like, like Paul Maurice, Bit of a gamer by calling him out because, like you said, he's a little bit going to be under the microscope as far as national attention is concerned. So he'll probably be prone to call things a little bit more fairly. I don't, I don't, I disagree because this has been going on for six years. And this yeah, guy, still I don't think he's ever been called out like he was last night. Maybe not. Probably I mean, got we, called out in Winnipeg. All I know is mm-hmm. Winnipeg, Winnipeg fans were in our mentions. Saying, yeah, this has been a thing for six years. Okay, we would we would circle Saint Laurent games on the schedule, knowing what was coming, and it always happened. Okay, so I don't think this is a new phenomenon. In that case, fuck Saint Laurent, but also fuck Luxmore and O'Rourke. Yeah, like <laughs> it's it's really bad. It's unacceptable. It really is. I mean, is there anything more to say about this? Well, I'll give you my usual spiel and say I'm I'm not usually the one to talk about the refs. I'm usually against it in general. I do think last night was a badly officiated game. I think that while Paul Maurice definitely made a dis- distinct, deliberate attempt to talk about the bad officiating, he also didn't come out fire and brimstone. He didn't, you know, appear to be completely outraged and offended. He was more so like, you know, making jokes. He was making comments like those, they throw those two guys at us. You know, it's not, you know, saying that referee is a joke or anything like that. It's it's kind of like you you have to deal with a lot of adversity in this league. Some of it is the travel, some of it is the back-to-back, some of it is sometimes you're gonna get a shitty refereeing performance and 
you can definitely make note of when there's a pattern like that, and Paul Maurice did. But these things tend to even out over time. And I'm not saying that anybody is really making any claims otherwise, but you sort of have to move on. You did get the points. You, you, you were under pressure all night for reasons that were obvious. Like you were on the second night of a back-to-back. Leafs were rested. That's a great team. It's a good point. You know, it was kind of disappointing not getting to because of all the context. Shit happens. You'll probably get another game, you know, somewhere down the line where you win because of a bad call or you win because your goaltender had an amazing performance. You got a little bit lucky. It tends to balance out over time. So I don't really spend too much of my time worrying about officiating, trying to legislate officiating, because in general, there's just entropy in the NHL. You think that's that's fair? Uh, I mean, I would if there wasn't a single referee that consistently was the source of a team's bad games. Well, it's not a team in this case because it's just Paul Maurice. It's the same thing. There is a a referee who has a clear bias against a person and whatever team that that person is coaching. That's unacceptable. Like you have to be better than that. Honestly, now I mean, if I were if I had a legal way to bet, every single time I see Francois Laurent officiate a game against the Panthers, I would load up on whoever the Panthers were playing, puck line and everything, because. Mm-hmm. 11 and 11 extra power plays in three games. You know, that's an angle that I didn't even think about. This could be a, a legitimate gambling edge. And then the NHL does have to really consider what they're doing because that's their sponsors. And that's, you know, the, the people in the gambling community these days are intelligent enough to pick up on edges like that. Yeah. So I am very curious to see if like, when the referees get announced for a Panthers game and it's Francois St. Laurent, does the line move? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something to uh, keep track. I mean, it's definitely something I am 100% going to track. Like, if Francois St. Laurent's officiating a game, I'm going to tweet about it from the account and be like, hey, guys, just buckle up, keep your eyes open, because it's going to be a bumpy one tonight because guess who's officiating the game? Yeah. I'm curious how the NHL is going to play it because I think that they're either going to get him in another Panthers game soon to try to, like I said, eliminate the appearance of imperpetuity or whatever. I, you know, uh, <laughs> Mercury is in power. Gatorade. Or he just won't referee another Panthers game this year because, like you said, he didn't do it last year. 82 games without him refereeing a game. Guys. And weirdly I, enough, it was the Panthers' best season ever. So... The Panthers are, I, I looked it up, the Panthers are the most penalized team in the NHL. They also draw a ton of penalties. A lot of coincidental. Want, well, them saying they draw a lot of penalties, go, go to the power play a lot. Do you want to know what their net penalty uh, ratio is? Minus 20? Nope. Plus one? Nope. Zero. Come on, guys. We already did this math. It's it's minus 11. It's the games Francois St. Laurent officiates. (laughs) So you're telling me that if you remove the the Francois St. Laurent games, the Panthers penalty differential is zero. 
Correct. They have holy shit. Perfectly balanced. They have the sixth worst penalty differential in the NHL. And it is only from the Francois St. Laurent games. The teams with worst penalty differentials, the Ducks, the Coyotes tied at 32 minus 32 blue jackets at minus 28 Canadians at minus 26 stars at minus 16 and the Panthers at minus 11. So basically to see the stars there, but the bottom, the bottom of the NHL are, which you would expect because least let lesser talented teams have to take more penalties because they're constantly chasing the play. Then you have the Dallas stars who are a good team. Like you said, surprising. And then the Florida Panthers. And it's entirely out of the Francois St. Laurent games. The Panthers do have the lowest five-on-five time on ice uh, per games played. Well, yeah, they draw the most penalties and they take some of the 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 most penalties. I just thought that was interesting. The Panthers effectively play the least five-on-five hockey of any team in the league. Which is... You know, maybe another thing that you can say, and I have not been one to do this, so this is a legitimate thing that I believe, but, and I was listening to the athletic hockey show. They were talking about this. And, you know, the first thing they mentioned in this case was Matthew Kachuk being a Panther. And a lot of the penalty minutes for and against are because of that. But also you do have to think. (laughs) Just because of his existence. Yes. I mean, come on. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? But real quick, Alex. Last year, that was maybe the Panthers' only weakness in was that special they didn't teams. Have Matthew Kachuk, right? The, their special teams was definitely their weak point last season, especially in the playoffs. They only scored one power play goal in the entire playoffs. Gave up a lot of power play goals to the other team, and so far this season, it really hasn't gone well. A lot of that you could point to percentages and you know the the shot maps on HockeyViz.com. They got a lot of red in front of the opponent's net, a lot of blue in front of their own net. Still hasn't gone great. You know, I mean, they were, they were the should they be most... making more of an effort to play at five on five if that's the case? And you may be able to point at the coach and say, hey, maybe they should be playing more at five on five if they're not great special teams. I mean, they were the sixth most penalized team last year. The reality is that part of it is game management. Like, and refs try to keep power plays even. Like most of the NHL hovers, you know, plus like the you know, Panthers were by far the best team in the NHL last year and their penalty differential was plus plus five. I mean, like you said, part of that is because let's name some of the Panthers on the team who take a lot of penalties. Radko Sam Bennett, Bennett, Sam Bennett, yeah, Sam, Sam Bennett, Bennett, Radko Gudis, Ryan Sam Blomberg, yeah. Sam Bennett, um, um, Sam Bennett. Ekblad, yeah, Ekblad <laughs> takes a lot of penalties. And then I would say Sam Bennett also. Yeah, right. I would say yeah. Sam Bennett. Right. But the um, Sam but, Bennett hat trick. Is a goal, a penalty taken, no, and Sam another penalty, penalty taken. The Sam, Bennett, the Sam Bennett hat trick is three penalties. <laughs> yeah, give him the goal too, though, because he he does get a bunch of those. So he also draws penalties. Yeah, that's that's the Sam Bennett hat yeah, trick. He actually. draws a them goal, up in his head before taking them. A goal, a drawn penalty, and a taken penalty. That is the Sam Bennett hat trick. To be a true, a natural Sam Bennett hat trick. Uh, the penalty taken has to be within the last five minutes of a game. There you go. It is frustrating because he he took two penalties yesterday, I believe, and you know over the last couple of games, I think he's taken three or four. 
And, you know, that's just part of the Sam Bennett experience. He's also going to get a bunch of good scoring chances. He's going to be a really good foil for your playmaking wingers. I mean, to be fair to Sam Bennett, neither of those penalties were sloppy penalties. Like the high stick on Tavares was... He got his stick lifted, yeah. Yeah, he got his stick lifted. He Like he wasn't being reckless. It was just unfortunate, but you will have to always be in control of your stick, so it's a penalty. The interference, I remember it being like a skinny call, but not like a terrible one. It, it just is what it is. Yeah, uh, like I said, a lot of this stuff comes out in the wash. It's an 82-game season. You do kind of got to move on. That was the tenor that Paul Maurice was taking to his credit. You know, he he was saying that things come and go in this league. There's a lot of adversity you have to deal with, like I was saying. It is what it is. Two points are absolutely necessary against the Canadians. Now, anything else you guys want to talk about Panthers-wise? Um, I want to talk about why this is not going to be a story in the NHL for much longer than it already is because there was a bigger story yesterday. Yeah. So uh, this is, was pretty interesting because I can't really think of any other time it's happened in the NHL. Like, you know, something even similar to this. Well, we, we had what almost happened because it was already shut down, shockingly enough, involving the exact same head coach. Yeah, I'm just saying instead of beating around the bush, I mean, you guys probably know what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, Ivan Provorov refusing mm-hmm. to wear the Flyers pride jersey for warmups, basing it on religious reasons. Um, that's fucking bullshit. Yeah. Uh, and... You know, his head coach, John Tortorella, said he was expressing his religious beliefs, allowed him to skip the pregame warm-up, and then played him the most minutes at any flyer that night. Last night. Nice job, John. Nice job. If you're wondering why I'm being sarcastic, this is the same person when the Colin Kaepernick stuff was going down, said, you will not kneel during the National Anthem on my team, or you will if you kneel, you won't play. To be fair to him... He did back off on those comments a few years ago saying, yes. hey, I was mistaken that, you know, I have a much different point of view now. However, Ivan Provorov basically just said, like, I refuse to show any support for the LGBTQ community and then got rewarded with a full night of hockey. And got to skip warmups. And got to skip warmups. And John the Flyers won. Yeah. They were what? playing the Ducks. I know. Either way, John Tortorella benches guys for much less all the time. We should also note that Tony D'Angelo participated in warm-ups. Yes. Tony D'Angelo is uh, Ivan Provorov's most common defense partner. And, you know, from what I've seen of on ice of Tony D'Angelo, I would guess that this isn't the case, but... I hope he gets an opportunity to change because there's no real reason to just throw human beings away. Like we can, we can definitely allow people to rehabilitate themselves and hopefully he'll get there at some point. I will say there is one account on Twitter that everyone seems pretty certain is Tony D'Angelo's burner. Another one. Um, No, it's the same one. The same same one. one, Yeah. Uh, Who, did fire off a tweet last night condemning Ivan Provorov's actions. So if that truly is a Tony D'Angelo burner, uh, good for him. I I think it's too on the nose to actually be his burner. I think it's somebody pretending to be his burner, but 
he did wear the jersey. So, you know, regardless. Yeah. Right. And so, he, like, even, yeah, I. Look, we're, we're not Ivan Provorov. Like, I, yeah. I don't care about John Tortorov. He also sucks. Fuck Ivan Provorov. He's, he's not good. I, I don't care about how good he is at hockey. Well, I'm sure right that now. that hurts him to hear that he's, I mean, he's never going to hear it from us. But just if you get the opportunity to tell him, remind him that he sucks. The reason that this is a problem, and I've I've gotten in quite a few conversations on Twitter uh, over the last 24 hours about free speech and standing up for what you believe in, that only goes so far as beliefs that don't cause harm to other people. And what the pride jerseys are meant to symbolize is inclusivity and equality to actively decide to not wear that Jersey. You are taking a stance against those ideals, whether that's your intention or not. That is what you are doing. Yep. There are many LGBTQ plus individuals who love hockey. Unfortunately, the NHL and hockey culture as a whole has not historically been very friendly to them, nor is it still. No. No. Those people feel threatened by Ivan Provorov's actions. And I'm not speaking for them. I've seen people talking about this, how Pride Night is meant to create a warm and welcoming environment for these people. So for a player on a team to deny them their humanity and deny them their welcoming environment, that's the problem here. It's a stance against equality and inclusion, whether that was the intention or not. Yeah. It's not saying that you support their lifestyle, though there's no reason not to. It's just saying that they are welcome in this environment. Yeah. I support you as a human being on this planet, as my fellow man or woman and... Or other. (laughs) Or, uh, yes, or other. Sorry. Remember, I am older than you two. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm also the most conservative, so we'll just, you know, I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. Yes, man, woman, or other, I guess. Um, Certainly much more than Ivan Provorov. Yeah, like, you've got to love your fellow man for whoever they are. You don't you don't have to support it. You don't have to agree with it. But you at least have to make them feel welcome in this world. And saying for 15 minutes you can't wear a jersey that has rainbow coloring on it get over yourself yeah i i will say that i think that it would be maybe not necessarily the wrong move but like potentially set a dangerous precedent if he were to be like not not in terms of the flyers doing any of this but for the nhl to suspend him or for people to say you know maybe he shouldn't be allowed to play or, or, or anything like that could potentially set a dangerous precedent because you know, at, at some point, it ultimately is a victimless thing that he did. And, you know, the symbol that he sends is not uh, victimless. Nobody no, nobody was actually hurt by his actions physically. No, not physically, but that's not the point. No, I, I, I think the correct, and it's already too late, the correct move would have been, okay, you don't want to wear the jersey. Then you're, you're going to be in tonight. You're going to be a healthy scratch tonight, and that's the end of it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That should have been the end of it. 
it's too late now to suspend him retroactively because you do set a bad precedent. I agree with that. And you could totally say, like, we're suspending you for this one game because you refuse to warm up. Like, it doesn't even have to be because you're anti-gay. Well, it's it's in the contract that, like, you have to perform certain, like, fundraising and community opportunities. And you could make the argument wearing the pride jersey falls under that. Yeah. The, the issue you have becomes if you suspend, if you physically, literally suspend him for it, then if someone does kneel for the national anthem, you have to suspend that person. If someone, you know, refuses to wear the, you know, uh, breast cancer jersey, even though, or the stand up to cancer jersey, like you got to suspend him. Like anytime a player refuses to wear one of the pregame warmups, you have to suspend that person. So here's what I propose as an alternative to any kind of formal punishment. I propose that for the rest of his NHL career, anytime that Ivan Provorov touches the puck, the fans vociferously boo him. And I think it will be totally understood why that's going on. I think that it's not all that far-fetched to see it happening. Yeah. I think, especially in Pittsburgh, I think he's going to definitely get booed oh, there. Oh, 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 yeah. And really, that that can be the end of it. Hopefully, he'll learn his lesson. And, you know, the Ro- Russian Orthodox thing, I think, is it's it's very flimsy because I really doubt he's following all of their principles to a T. This is one of the ones that, right. you know, religious leaders are typically this is one of the the things that they're they let go easiest from the bible like the the current pope is not necessarily friendly to the lgbt community but is certainly more friendly than popes have been in the past yeah he at least affirms their right to exist yes and that hasn't necessarily been a given in the past so that's that's something that can totally happen and you know He's just decided not to do it, and it's not really for completely valid religious reasons. Now, it doesn't really matter what his reasons are. Ultimately, they can't force him to wear the jersey. Like Alex said, I think the perfect solution would have been, okay, you're not going to warm up in this game. Well, then you're suspended for it. The Flyers aren't even really in a position where they need him to play. They were playing against the Anaheim Ducks, who are awful. They probably would have been better served sitting him for hockey reasons so they could lose and get a better draft pick, get a better chance at (laughs) Connor Bedard or Fantilli or something like that, which makes, you know, them playing him and playing him all those minutes, just all the more stupid. And, you know, Tortorella does come off looking worse in this case. And now he may just be trying to be libertarian and laissez faire about the whole thing. Maybe if, you know, one of his players had, you know, refused to wear a, like, you know, I support the police department warm up. He would have done the same thing and ignored it. I don't know. Ultimately, this is what happened. We have to judge him based on that and doesn't come out looking very good. Yeah. It's just bad looks all around. Provorov obviously looks the worst. Um, I mean, good for the, there's been a lot of pushback on it. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that, I, I haven't seen very many people in the NHL come out and say, good on Provorov, you know, we shouldn't encourage this stuff, quote unquote, yeah. referring to like LGBT people being themselves. I think that it's it's generally been a uniform 
pushback and you know there will always be the random twitter trolls but in terms of the people that have meaningful say i saw pierre lebrun flat out call it bigotry that's an encouraging thing not necessarily a lot you know, of like insiders and journalists came out and in, in uh and condemned Provorov. which is oh. something they haven't done a lot yeah. really Gre- greg wyshinsky like <laughs> which he, was he, the best he was going at it with people on Twitter. Someone said, uh, shut up, put your money where your mouth is. He said, I'm trying. And he was <laughs> with the a time, picture of the D'Angelo auction. He was the leading bidder. He was I, I to, hope he wins it. ESPN hope, needs to pay for that. I hope he does. Like That was just so amazing. So amazingly well done. Like, way to go, Wish. Like, that was awesome. Yeah. I mean, Wish has been more critical of the NHL than people like. I mentioned LeBron. Uh, Friedman has gotten a lot of sl- of uh, pushback for some of the stuff he said. Like Mitchell Miller, he kind of had a both sides tweet, which like I'm we we discussed that. I mentioned I'm very pro rehabilitation, but that was kind of in bad taste. Uh, I didn't see some of the other like TSN Sportsnet people, but in general, that did seem to be a unified voice by the the hockey. I don't want to say community because that's not really what I mean. What I mean is like the the people with stature, you know, the 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 influencers, I guess. They, they've been pretty well shamed after the whole Kyle Beach stuff where basically everyone did everything they could to to know, uh to um avoid that off that awful situation until they had no other choice. Yeah, and that's an encouraging thing. Anything else that we want to talk about on on this subject before we uh- Wrap I, it I up, I guess, because I, I don't know if we got uh, anything Yeah, else. just one parting note. Uh, stop hiding behind religion for your shitty decisions. Yeah. Don't use I religion mean, as a shield to be a shitty person. It is possible to be a religious person and also a good person. Stop I, using religion as a shield to be shitty. There are very few religions out there that, like, they act, actively pressure you to be a shitty person. Catholicism, yes, homosexuality is a sin according to Catholicism. But Jesus also told you, love everyone as I have loved you, everyone. So if you're using your religion and you're a Catholic, fuck you. Uh, you know, Russian right. Orthodox, they say homosexuality is a sin in Russian Orthodox, but like they still say treat everyone well, you know. Um yeah, like any religion that says homosexuality is a sin yeah. while sitting side by side with treat everyone with kindness and respect. The way that you can freely believe both of those things is to not practice homosexuality if you feel so inclined to do that. That doesn't Correct. mean you have to interfere deny in someone else's their lives. Yes. Yep. Uh, like, you're not slick. That's basically what I would say. Like everybody right. knows you're not following all the religious principles yeah. to a T. Right. Your Everyone actions are knows. rooted in homophobia. You're using yeah. religion as a shield. Go fuck yourself. Yep. Yeah. Show me the pictures of Provorov at church on Sunday. Yeah. That's where uh, I'll, I'll end my comments on that. Let's move on. Final thoughts on, you know. There's one more topic I want to touch on. Not about Provorov. Um, quickly. Because I, I really got to wrap. <laughs> Jesse Pulley, Yarvi. Yeah. Uh, Panthers don't have cap space. They don't. But if you could, if, if, like if if they fall out of the out of the race and you know Radko Gudis can turn into Jesse Puyarvi, you do it in a second. Oh yeah, actually, you know what? That might be it because that I might think Ken Holland would go for Gudis also. 
Oh, he he would love Gudis. Absolutely. I think you could get a first round pick for Gudis. I, I mean, think about think about how Sherratt got a first round pick. Gudis is a better player, and he offers all of the same intangibles. Yeah, but he's not six foot five. All right, fair enough. Um, Last thing: are where are we in terms of playoff probability vibes for for the Panthers right now? What are you thinking? I'm feeling a lot better right um, now not, than I did around New Year's. I'm not going to worry about it until they are more than a point or two above 500. Okay, so you're basically still like the season is long. No, I'm not saying the season is lost or long. I'm saying long. Like, yeah, I said long. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm saying like when a two game losing streak puts the Panthers back under 500, I'm not worried about the playoffs. I'm worried about winning the next game and the game after that. Yeah, I would say to build off of that, you know, there, there's like a 12 rung ladder that they got to climb up in order to make the playoffs. And we're getting a look of them grabbing onto like the third rung. And that's great because, you know, we didn't even see them on the ladder before, but they still got to get to the 12th rung. And that's going to yeah. take a lot more work. Um, yeah. Okay. Final thoughts, anybody, everybody? No. Right. I, I got one because we I, I wanted to mention it when we were talking about the officiating. Jessica Blaylock. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. To, to quote my the younger generations like you guys go off queen just go off like just <laughs> yeah. so well done like her tweets are not her, bitter classy but also you know sassy classy yeah. and sassy yeah classy and sassy happy 40th birthday right. um but like everything she was saying on the broadcast was like yeah i can't get fine this is a joke she was every single florida panthers fan last night and then her tweet with like, oh, the uh, what Francois Saint Laurent was putting on before and after the game, and it was two Leaf jerseys. Like, so good, just, just, just well done, Jessica Blaylock. Thank you so much for being. I thought that the 40th birthday thing was a joke. I mean, come on, 40. Yeah, there's no way. There's You're no way. kidding me. <laughs> she looks way better than I do, and I'm seven years younger. <laughs> All right, where are they rating us five stars? Um, rate us five stars on scoutingtherefs.com. Yeah, that's a good one. I think we're going to get better reviews than Francois Saint Laurent in a heartbeat. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Jacob. Jacob. Oh, right. It's... Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203.